The United Nations is the seat of world government in the earth today. The Federal Reserve, along with all the other central banks, is a banking cartel controlling the economy of the United States and most nations. I'm going to interview G. Edward Griffin, the man whose books have exposed the true authoritarian objectives of these organizations on this edition of The End Time Show. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm Dave Robbins with End Time Ministries. Thank you so much for joining me on this edition of the End Time Show. And wow, have I been looking forward to this interview for years now. You know, most people in the United States, they get mesmerized by um, inflation and supply shortages and global warming and just a million other things but they completely miss the much larger story that is really affecting all of our lives. You know, it brings up a million questions. Are there really international elites that run the world and the economy of the United States? So to help me answer these questions is the author of two very influential books, The Fearful Master, Exposing the United Nations World Governing Aspirations and The Creature from Jekyll Island Exposing the Federal Reserve and a Banking Cartel. So with that said, I want to welcome Mr. G. Edward Griffin to the End Time Show. Thank you, Mr. Griffin, for being with me today. Well, it's a pleasure being here. So thanks for inviting me. I like that in, that introduction that narrows the field right <laughs> down to the, to the core of what's going on in the world. A absolutely. And yeah. um, uh, again, like we, we talked about earlier, I, we here at End Time Ministries, we specialize in eschatology and Bible prophecy and things like that. But you and I are not going to focus on that today because I wanted to go through these two books because I think the majority of the population in the United States and around the world, they really don't have a clue about who really is running our lives. There is a fearful master and there is a group of elites around the world that are trying to control every single aspect of every person's life on the planet. They've got this mindset and they've been grooming politicians and people for years for all of this. and. I know that you have written two very, very, you've written many books, but two very influential books that I wanted to cover today, The Fearful Master and The Creature from Jekyll Isle, to really help our audience understand who is really running the world. And I know you've done your homework. I know The Creature from Jekyll Isle, I think it took you like seven years to write that book, among other things. And uh, so you've done your research, and I will tell you that, um, I have a friend, his father, I just talked to him last week, his father worked at the Federal Reserve. I think he was like a G-15 or something like that. He was right under um, Greenspan and Yellen, and he presented them with your book. And he said that they took it, went through it, and they came back to him and said, wow, that's quite interesting. They never denied anything in the book, but they just told him, wow, that's a quite interesting read. And so uh, he said the key thing was they didn't deny one word of it. And so 
Um, I know that it is true. I've done my research and I researched many different aspects of this and it's been a very influential to a lot of people. And so um, thank you for joining me today and I'm gonna get right off into it. I wanna start with the fearful master uh, talking about the United Nations today. So uh, Mr. Griffin, give me a, a definition or just tell me what is the United Nations. I, as we talked before, my father-in-law, Irvin Baxter, when he came out of high school, this would have been back in the early 60s, he had a book that had one whole page in the back and it said, the United Nations, the last great humanitarian hope for mankind. But I, I'm not so sure that that is a true statement. So if you would, um, tell me what is the United Nations? Well, yeah, I really relate to your story about uh, that book with the last page describing the United Nations in glorious terms, because that was my my impression of the organization also. You know, I went through the school system like everybody else, and I tried to study hard, and I, I never questioned the authority and knowledge of my teachers. So when they taught me that the United Nations was our last best hope for peace, well, I believed it, and I thought, that's wonderful. I'm, I'm so glad to hear that, because the world is... Uh, is burdened with wars and famine and and treachery and you know hatred. Well, let's get rid of all that stuff. And maybe the United Nations is the tool to do it. And so I was totally on board. And uh, somewhat like you, I came across a pamphlet. This was after I had been married and I was in climbing the corporate ladder and all that, trying to carve a place for myself in the in the material world. I wanted to make a lot of money and be an executive in a large corporation and have a nice car and, you know, have all the good things that, sure. like most young people are. I was totally materialistic. And uh, so I came across this pamphlet and it was written by some college professor who uh, I never heard of before or since, who taught in some Midwestern university, which I still can't remember which it was, but it was some small university. And he was very critical of the UN. And uh, I was incensed because I, too, knew that it was our last best hope for peace. Right. So I was I was highly uh, incensed by it. And but it jolted me enough. Uh, you might find this interesting. After I came out of school, I really was not much interested in ever going back in a library. <laughs> I thought that was sort of like a torture chamber for <laughs> young people who, who really would rather be outside having fun. Sure rather than reading old dusty books and things. Anyway, I went to the library to see if I could confirm or, or contradict some of the things that this professor had said. And lo and behold, I found out he was right. And that was the first crack in the egg for me. Mm -hmm. And as you know, my first book was on, on the United Nations mm -hmm. called The Fearful Master, Second Look at the United Nations. And that was the product of uh, that, that one crack. And I, I think it's significant because I'm sure we'll be talking today on many other issues than the UN, mm -hmm. but for most of us that came out of the, the educational system or the, let's call it what it is, the mind conditioning system yeah. of the, not only the educators, but the media and to a large extent, even to the pulpit and so forth, we get information and, and, uh, and values presented to us by people who we consider to be authorities and we just buy into it. Well, 
once that first crack is cracked, you begin to think, hmm, what else have I been fooled about? Sure. And the first thing you know, the crack gets wider and splits out and you come to the somewhere down the line, somewhere in the mid, midpoint in your life, you say, oh, my gosh, everything I, I thought I knew was wrong. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. uh, and that's when your friends start looking at you and saying, what's wrong with this guy? He's he's gone off the deep end because they're still they haven't had that first crack yet. Yeah. So anyway, I just thought you might find that interesting because yeah. I think uh, the kind of issues we'll be talking about are strange to the ear yeah. of the average person out there. They don't hear this on television or on the internet. Yeah. So, uh, so I'm going to break in on you. I got a break coming up, and then oh, okay, uh, good break, good point to do that because yeah. I'm finally going to answer your question. Yeah, yeah. So when we get back, we'll dive straight off into what is the United yeah. Nations, and so sure, you everybody joining me today, a, a very wonderful guest. Very, written some very, very influential books, The Fearful Master, The Creature from Jekyll Isle. A voice spoke to me and said, I've got something I want to show you. I was so sure God had talked to me, and I was stunned by what I saw. A direct fulfillment of this over 2,500-year-old prophecy. The United States will stand with Israel. Why haven't I ever seen this before? One third of humanity will die. What do these beasts symbolize? The lion, the bear, the leopard. The combined beast from Revelation 13 represents the end time government of the Antichrist. Understanding the end time. Now streaming on Endtime Plus and available to order at endtime.com slash UET. Go to endtime.com slash UET or call 800-ENDTIME. Are you ready for an extraordinary journey to the region that is the focus of more end-time Bible prophecy than any other? Well, look no further. Join us on an unforgettable journey to Israel. Our adventure begins down in Jerusalem where we will teach on the Mount of Olives, sing at the Garden of Gethsemane, walk down through the Kidron Valley, then we'll make our way north, have a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee while visiting Joppa, Mount Carmel, baptize in the Jordan River, and so much more. Don't miss out on this incredible trip to Israel. Spaces are limited. Book your tour today. Visit endtime.com slash tour or call us at 1-800-END-TIME. Join us for an experience that you will never forget. What if you could understand Bible prophecy? Dave Robbins, the host of the End Time Show's TV and radio programs, is holding a free prophecy conference near you. Gain peace and understanding about what the Bible says concerning end-time prophecy. Call 1-800-END-TIME or go to endtime.com slash events to see when Dave will be in a location near you. Welcome back, everybody. So, Mr. Griffin, if the United Nations is not the last great hope for peace of, on mankind, what is it? Well, that's a, it's a hard way to answer it 
in a way that everybody would agree. But mm -hmm. as I see it, the simple approach is to understand it's an idea. Mm -hmm. The United Nations is an idea that if all nations of the world join together with good intentions, good heart, and if they're willing to, uh, to follow their conscience and so forth, do the right thing, they will be able to bring peace to the world because there will no longer be any reason for wars, no reason for conflict because men of goodwill will come together and sit around a table and work out their differences and make compromises and help each other. Right. And it's a great idea. We all love that idea. It's kind of a, a dream, a fantasy in my view, but uh, anyway, it's a, it's a good, pleasant dream. So it's an idea, but it's, it's being, it was put together and advanced and it's being monitored and sold now by people who do not have that idea. Right. It'd be monitored and being sold by people who have quite a different idea, but they're pretending that that's their idea. Mm -hmm. Now this is a harsh statement, but I think it's easy enough to prove when you look at who these people are and what they've done in the past and what they continue to do while they're advancing this great idea. Yeah. The United Nations is an idea that's been converted into a, being converted as we speak into a workable political uh, entity made up of representatives from all the countries of the world. And uh, they're nibbling away on the sovereignty of all the individual nations and piece by piece, they're persuading these people who represent these nations to voluntarily give up and surrender their sovereignty yes. in various areas like in monetary field or in the educational field or trade or, or usually it's commerce and political and so forth. Now, now it's military and information. They want to turn over control of the internet to the United Nations and so forth. Right. Piece by piece, the people in this group that are trying to build this idea into a true world government, I think that's what we're calling it, that's yes. what, it, what they want it yeah. to be, and so they're building a world government around this false idea of peace mm -hmm. and prosperity and health and, and friendship and love and so forth. But what they're really building is a world tyranny. Yes. And you know that's true because you look at who they are. Yeah. And if you look at the nations they represent and say, what kind of governments do they have in their own homeland? Mm -hmm. And you realize the world is full of tyrannical governments. Yeah. And some of them are very very tyrannical and these are the people who are talking about peace and it's a joke once you really begin to look into it yeah. and reading their documents yeah. so it's a great facade and it's being sold with a great idea a real great idea but it will be one of the worst things that ever happens to to mankind if we allow it to continue to be formed into the final destination which they hope it will be which is a world government now let me hasten to say I am not opposed to world government. Mm -hmm. That may shock a lot of people. To me, it's not a question how big the government is or how many nations it encompasses, but what does it do? Right. What are its principles? Now, if we had a world government that was built on good Christian values yeah. and really built on, on voluntary cooperation instead of coercion and really built on truth instead of lies, I'd be all for it. Yeah, absolutely. But that is not what we're talking about. <laughs> See, they present an idea and then what you it's bait and switch because what you get is not the idea they sold. Mm -hmm. So a world government based on the principles that you and I share, I think would be very good yeah. as long as it's not compulsory. Right, right. But of course, that's not what we're talking about. Right. So it, the, the United Nations is built around um, a, a collectivist idea. And when I say collectivist, I think most people, 
their eyes glaze over. Collectivist, what's collectivism, this uh, ideology of these people? So um, g- give us the definition of, of collectivism. and Because I, I know, so scripturally, and I'm, I, again, I'm not going to spend much time on prophecy. I can prove scripturally that the end time world government will be a socialistic, communistic world governing body. And I think that I've seen on uh, maybe some of your information that the collectivist position, there's two main branches of collectivism, communism and fascism. And so give us a definition of collectivism, please. Yeah, thank you for that, because I think it's one of the most, if not right now, one of the top two or three topics that people have to get very clear on Mm -hmm. if they intend to preserve their liberty or Mm -hmm. perhaps I should say restore their liberty. Because it's being taken over by this idea of collectivism. There's another idea mm-hmm. that sounds good if you don't examine it too carefully. Right. But collectivism was taught to me in school, and I bought into it. It's simply the concept in general, the, the mantra of collectivism is that the individual must be sacrificed, if necessary, for the greater good, for the greater number. So therefore, the group is more important than the individual. Right. That's collectivism. and. Uh, as I say, I bought into that in school because mm-hmm. my authorities, my teachers told me that that was a good idea and it sounded good. I mean, after all, isn't that the basis of democracy? Right. That the majority rules. We do everything for the greater good. We don't want selfish people benefiting at the expense of others and so forth. So I bought into it. But that's not what we get. We right, get bait right. and switch, you see. <laughs> so what we get under collectivism is that with this idea, uh, demagogues can rise to power and they say, I, or our party, represents the will of the majority. Yeah. Of course, they rig the elections and they use propaganda yeah. and they cheat and they steal and they murder and they blackmail and all that right. to make sure that they have the appearance mm-hmm. of the will of the majority. But nevertheless, people believe they really do. I mean, most Americans, even though they know the elections are rigged, yeah. they still really think that their vote determines their political destiny. Right. They don't realize that this is part of the, the game, you know, the scam, the bait and the switch. Mm-hmm. So collectivism is the idea where a, a tyrant or a demagogue or a political party mm-hmm. can come to power and say, we represent the majority. Yeah. And therefore, we will do whatever we want because it's for the greater good of society. Yeah. And when you look at all of the greatest tragedies of recent history, they're sold on that basis. I don't want to take a lot of time on this, but perhaps one of the greatest that now is clearly documented is Pearl Harbor. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, we were told, I was taught in school, I was alive when Pearl Harbor would happen. I was just a boy, but I remember it was a terrible thing. We said, oh, those, those Japanese, it was a sneak attack, how horrible, and all the American people were up in arms. We've got to fight back and uh, fight for democracy and all these things. But then I found out later on that the American government under Franklin Delano Roosevelt and his regime, they not only knew that the Japanese were going to attack, they did everything possible to entice them to attack, oh, to man. aggravate them, to anger them, to yeah. play against their, their feeling of national honor, yep. to make them feel that they had to respond militarily. Yeah. And they made it easy for the armada to come from Japan, the islands there, right to Pearl Harbor. Yeah. They took all of our battleships, the best ones, out of Pearl Harbor so they weren't there. They knew that there were going to be some ships sunk. So they left the old junkers there to be sunk. They had to scrap them anyway. All the real ships of any value had been steamed out. Anyway, all the orders from Washington are now a matter of public record. They did everything from Washington possible to entice the Japanese to attack, to make sure nobody, no commercial 
vessels were going to be on the ocean on that path where the armada would come. They were kept out so that no fisher uh, ship would say, hey, guys, on the radio, they say, hey, there's something going yeah. on. There's a bunch of Japanese battleships and airplane carriers moving toward, yeah. uh, you know. Yeah, so they said they didn't want that to happen. Yeah. So the United States government was involved from top to bottom. The, the Americans had c cracked the code, the code of the Japanese. Yeah. They knew what the Japanese were doing every step of the way, but they pretended like it was a sneak attack. And they did this because they wanted the American people to be enraged so they would be behind the war and be willing to get into the war, which they wanted to do, so that they could be at the table for the so-called peace negotiations yeah. afterwards, so they could di divide up the world the way they wanted to do it. Yeah. So but the point I'm trying to make here is that it's all deception. And, um, and there are lots, several points, but when yeah. you understand that this is how it really works, yeah. and people think that... Uh, you know, that they're determining their own political destiny and they, they think that as anything can be done as long as it's for the greater good of society. Yeah. And that's where I was going with this because yeah, at the end of the war, anybody who had said what I am now saying probably would have be, been stoned sure. or put into prison. Yeah. How dare you say that about our, our brave men? Well, we had three or 4,000 sailors killed in that battle. And you say that that was done by, with full knowledge of from President Roosevelt, you know, how dare you say that? And it was true, however, yeah. and now we know it's true because the documents have been unearthed, yeah. and they're official military documents and diplomatic, dipl diplomatic documents, it's mm -hmm. proven. And so now we come along, one of the leading officials in the, in the uh, Roosevelt administration left his memoirs, his diaries behind, and they finally got published. And right in there, he said, yes, yes, he said, it was, it was a terrible thing we had to do. We had to sacrifice the lives of American sailors and civilians, 4,000 of them to be exact. I think that was the number. And it was a terrible thing, but it was a great act of statesmanship on the part of President Roosevelt because without doing that, we would have probably never gotten into the war. We would never have been able to be at the table to to, uh, to administer a just peace. And yeah. maybe the Japanese or the Germans would have attacked us unprepared and we would have lost more lives than 4,000 lives. So it was a great act of statesmanship because the American people were not informed enough. They were not intelligent enough to know the necessity of getting into the war. So in other words, you see it was for the greater good of the greater yeah. number that they did this. Yeah. Every, every act of, of horror, horrific political movement that you can think of in modern times yeah. is justified on the basis of collectivism. collectivism. The individual's liberty and the number of people involved yeah. is that must be sacrificed because it's for the good of society. Do That's so after World War One, the answer to um, a, a world war ever happening again was the the in the in the minds of the international elite would be the League of Nations. After World yes. War Two, you had the United Nations. Do you think they'd be willing to go to a World War III to, because I know Antonio Guterres is constantly saying he's upset because the United Nations doesn't have the teeth or the enforcement methods that they really want to have. Do you believe they'd be willing to go to a World War III to, now I know this is speculation, it's, it, but do you believe they'd be willing to go to a World War III looking after World War I and World War II to finally get the true world government that they really want? Do you, do you, they do you believe they'd be willing? Length. I'm sorry. I believe they would go to they would go to any lengths to yes. get what they want. Yeah, that is their end game. Yep. So another world war, 
it makes no difference. They yeah. would go through 10 more world wars. Exactly. They would devastate the whole planet if necessary. So that's it's the, the collectivist goal. mindset. That's the collectivist mindset. Yeah, and, and that's the United Nations personified that's today. Exactly. That's exactly right. And if mm -hmm. everybody could just understand what's really going on in our world today, and that's why these two books, they're so eye-opening. I mean, uh, if you go through them, it will really open your mind up to what's really going on in the world, this world-governing collectivist uh, mindset. I know that we've got a, a, an upcoming election here, and, and I've got this thing's going too fast for me. I wish we had like three or four of these interviews to do. But the, um, the, I know we've we got a coming election in 2024, and the, to me, one of the main issues is globalism, versus um, a nationalistic type situation. In other words, when Donald Trump came into office, he started pulling us out of this world government in many ways. He pulled us out of the Trans-Pacific Partnership, the Paris Climate Agreement, the um, Global Compact on Migration, uh, and the World Health Organization, many other things. When Joe Biden gets in, he immediately turns right around and pushes us right back into it. So if, do you think, as far as the, in the collectivist mindset in this, do you think in the next election that that would be one of the main issues that we could maybe, and I know you say that the, the election process is pretty much gone. Um, do you think that that would be one of the main issues in the next election in 2024, just what we just talked about with this collectivist mindset? Because it's here in America as well. Well, Dave, I, my view on that is uh, maybe at another, another 10 or 20,000 foot elevation. I got a little bigger picture than yeah. just the election okay. uh, or the candidates by name. And I know from my research over the years that these people that we're calling collectivists, they have different names in different countries. They might be fascists in one country, communists in another. In another country, they might even be Republicans or Democrats. Sure. But, but they all think the same. They're, they're collectivists. And uh, they, these people go to school, literally. They, they have courses on how to manipulate public opinion and how to change society. And uh, it's very interesting when you get into the study of some of the tax-exempt uh, uh, foundations in America because people, the, the groups like the Carnegie Endowment Fund for International Peace mm -hmm. and the Rockefeller Funds and so forth are quite vocal about how they spend their money, millions and millions of dollars of it, to change the educational system, to convince people that collectivism is the wave of the future. And while individualism, which is our, our past uh, ideology yeah. that made America great in my view, that's the thing of the past, they say. It served its purpose, it was good at the time, but now it's collectivism is the wave of the future. And so when if people understand how this happens, then um, they won't fall for it. But part of what I'm driving toward is the strategies that they develop call for conflict. Yeah. They know that the, if people will only give up their their cherished position, their, their ideas of liberty and justice and so forth, if they're scared to death. Yeah. And they must be afraid of something. So they have to have conflict, yeah. war, famines, pandemics or something to keep people frightened. Yeah. Now, I know yeah. the music is coming, so we got to take yeah, a break, yeah. but I'm yeah. going to come back to that point because it's very, very yeah, important. Yeah. Okay, we'll come back and then we'll get off into the Federal Reserve right after that. Okay. They that understand what is taking place will instruct many.
except a man is born again, he can enter or see the kingdom of God. I don't care what label you've been given or what label you've given yourself, you are essential. You still matter. This is a journey, and when we get to the other side of that, that's where our prize is, that's where our reward is. End time is not going anywhere. Satan and the elites of this world don't want you to understand the timeline leading to the second coming of Jesus. You can pinpoint where we are in the end time understand how you fit in and be filled with hope in God's plan by watching the future according to Bible prophecy. Go to intime.com slash future or call 800 in time. That's 800-363-8463. Welcome back, everybody. Now, um, Mr. Griffin, man, it's going too fast for me, but um, I, I want you to finish your point there that you were making yeah, about everybody being important. in scare mode. Yeah, and don't let me forget to come back to this little pamphlet on collectivism yeah, yeah. versus yeah. Uh, individualism. We'll, we'll get to that so before anyway, we get into the Federal Reserve. Yeah, but yeah. part of the strategy is a very important part of the strategy for these people, regardless of what group they're in, they all use the same strategy. And that is that they, they know that the public must always have the impression that they are politic participating in their own political destiny. Yeah. So they must have a choice. And so for a long, longest time, we've had this choice between what we generally call left and right. We've got, well, the communists were taking over the world in the 1960s. That's what I came into the picture. Mm -hmm. So I thought, boy, this is bad. We've got to fight those communists. And you know, I was told in school, well, the communists are left-wingers, and the Nazis and the fascists are the right-wingers, and they're opposites of each other. So. That was my choice. I thought, well, I got, which one do I want? Well, I want to be a communist or a Nazi. Well, I didn't want to be either one, but that was the only choice was offered right. to me. And so there was a time actually in my youth, I, my younger years, I called myself a right winger. And then I came to realize that well, there's, they're the same. Yeah. I analyzed the philosophies and, and they're the same. They fight each other. They kill each other by the thousands, but they're not fighting over what they believe in, a difference in that. They're fighting over territory. They're fighting over who is going to be the top dog in the system of collectivism. And once, once I got that picture that the right and the left are not opposites, but they are playing the game of fighting each other. So whichever side you choose, you lose either way, but you have to choose. So once I saw that, it was easy for me to see it in politics. The same thing. In almost every country, they've got at least two major parties fighting each other. And people think, well, I got to be one or the other because they're opposite. And yet they're the same on either side. That's why in America, no matter which party is in office, yeah. the same thing continues to happen. Yeah. <laughs> or it's, as the communists called it in one uh, way of describing it is they go, they go two steps forward and one step backward, yeah. two steps forward 
one step backwards. So the public always thinks there's a tug of war going on, and they're actually stopping it sometimes. Oh, we won. Oh, no, we didn't win after all. Oh, we're losing. Oh, we won a little bit, but we lost more. Right. You've got to have this push and shove back and forth. Otherwise, the people will get onto the trick. Yeah. So now you ask me what I think about the future yeah. of these elections. Ladies and gentlemen, they're playing that trick on us now. Yeah. We've got to look beyond who you're going to vote for. Yeah. You've got to start building these ideological movements from the ground up, independent of political parties. Yes. That's part of the trick. Don't fall for it. Right. <laughs> That's my message, and it makes me very yeah. unpopular because everybody wants this, this simple answer, who yeah. you're going to vote for. Right, right, right. They think that they can go make a, an election a mark on a checkbox, and they've, they've satisfied their obligation of citizenship. Right. And then they haven't even begun. So with that said, uh, hit your book there, and then we'll go off into the Federal Reserve. Yes, thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be very missed. I, I started to write about this topic of uh, collectivism versus individualism, mm -hmm. and it was for my next book, which is going to come out one of these days. But I decided recently, why wait for that? Because it might be a year before mm -hmm. it's done. So I put it all together in this 50-page document. And I urge anybody who's interested in knowing about this thing, collectivism versus individualism. Mm -hmm. It's the idea or the issue behind all other issues. So I urge you, if you want this, it's free. Just come online and uh, ask for it. And uh, the way you do it is you go to the internet and uh, type in chasm. That's what I call it, the chasms, mm -hmm. you know, the great divide. Mm -hmm. So chasm.realityzone.com, chasm.realityzone.com. Chasm Got it. And you'll get a free copy. You can download it, yeah. read it, print it out, whatever you want to do. Good. But please read it. Yeah, absolutely. No, I'll actually go get a copy myself. I got a long plane ride ahead of me in the morning over to Israel, so I may do that. Well, um, this will keep you awake. Yeah, absolutely. No, I know, because I'm all into it. Um, so really quick, just, man, a short period of time left. It's gone way too fast. Um, the creature from Jekyll Isle exposing, exposing the Federal Reserve. Everybody on the United States needs to read this book because um, the, the Federal, and I'm going to try to cut some of this short, but the, the, with the Federal Reserve Act and different things in, um, that happened in 1913, the, the Federal Reserve is not just this great, wonderful bank that's trying to help our economy and fight inflation. Just in a nutshell, what, what is the Federal Reserve Bank? What are they really? Well, Dave, you used the word quite correctly in the beginning of your program. Mm -hmm. You called it a cartel. Mm -hmm. And that's really what it is. A cartel is a, is a group of, of uh, commercial enterprises, mostly. Sometimes they're social, but in this case, it's commercial enterprises who are considered to be competitors. Mm -hmm. But they decide at some point that they don't want to compete because that's too expensive. You've got to lower your prices, improve your product and so forth yeah. to compete. So they get together and they say, OK, we're going to cooperate. We're not going to complete, compete anymore, but we'll appear to be competitors so that the public will have no choice but to buy our products. And so they divide up their, their products and their territories. Like we're making machines, they might say, well, OK, we're going to produce tractors and you produce automobiles or they might say well you get north america i get south america mm -hmm. and they they fix their prices if and so forth and they and they share patents and processes and so eventually what emerges is an industry like the banking industry made up of different banks but they all charge approximately the same rates mm -hmm. offer the same services and there's not very much competition between them except seemingly like an advertising or something like that 
their, but their policies and their products and their prices are all the same and mm -hmm. fixed. Well, the Federal Reserve System is a cartel like that. It's the same as a banana cartel or an oil cartel, sure. but it just happens to be a banking cartel. And so these banks, the major banks run it. It's independent of the government, has nothing to do with the government, mm -hmm. except that it, it wrote the Federal Reserve Act and took it to Congress and convinced those stupid congressmen and senators to vote it into law. So their private cartel agreement now is a law. And that's why people think it's an agency of the government, mm -hmm. because if you don't agree and abide by their cartel agreement, which is now law, mm -hmm. you can go to prison. Yeah. Well, only government can do that, right? Yeah. So yeah. the Federal Reserve must be government agency. No, it's not. It's a private cartel that captured control of the government yes. and is doing the dirty work for the cartel. So you come to the startling conclusion after all of this, and you see how it works in everyday life. The government is not controlling the banks. The banks are controlling the government. Government, right. Yeah, so um, the, with them controlling our economy now, they, the Constitution gives the Congress, a group of elected officials, the ability to print money and control the economy and this, that, and the other and set the interest rates. However, they don't do that now. With the Federal Reserve Act, took that power away from them and gave it to this, this banking cartel you're talking about. And that's how they're controlling our economy. So let me ask you a question real quick. The, when, when, when you see articles, like I've got an, uh, an, ad, um, an article here from the Business Insider that says, the Fed's fight against inflation hasn't caused a recession in the U.S. yet, but it could lead to a global downturn. So when you hear the term or the statement that the Fed is fighting inflation, what do you think of? First thoughts. Well, I think it's, it's, uh, it's, it's laughable. It's almost like, <laughs> like a comedy routine, because if you know anything about how money comes into existence through the Federal Reserve System, there's no question but that the Federal Reserve is the cause of inflation. Yes. So they have to say they're fighting it while they're creating it. Otherwise, people would be angry. But as long as they're creating it like crazy, but then say, hey, we got to do something to slow down this inflation, the average gum-chewing public says, oh, those are good people. They just said the right thing. Mm. It's easy. Yeah. You just lie to them and they believe it. Right. Yeah. So they, with, with them printing money and putting money into the system, uh, printing money really out of thin air because we went off of the gold standard, and now they just print money from nothing, putting it into our the into circulation um, that creates more demand than there is supply boom prices go up there goes inflation and they caused it but then in the news they're saying well we're fighting it and everybody thinks well the the central banks on our side when they're yeah, really totally exactly. against us yeah and yeah, so the ones that are doing it and yeah. they know it it's not they're yeah. not making a mistake these people are are shrewd evil people yes and we have to quit honoring them and calling them sir it, these people ought to be in prison yes absolutely so with that said the and that knowing that they control our economy but they're evil people that they i want to enter for sake of time i have to bring up the central bank digital currency because if they were to get in control of the central bank digital, if they were to implement a central bank digital currency. So what I was watching, um, Mr. Griffin, is that I saw these cryptocurrencies. You know, we worked on the dollar bill for years and things, but when I saw these cryptocurrencies come into play and there were major uh, corporations that were getting ready to take cryptocurrencies for a method of payment, 
I thought, man, our I know what the Fed, I'd read your book and read, uh, been through your book and knew what, was, what the Fed really was. I knew that they were going to attack this uh, Bitcoin and these cryptocurrencies because they were not going to allow a parallel system to run here in the United States. Then they, I knew they were going to attack this. Well, sure enough, back last year, Joe Biden comes out with his executive order that says, hey, we're going to look into the central bank digital currency. And what they're doing is the, the cryptocurrencies are decentralized. The central bank digital currency would be, you know, obviously they say government ran, but it would be ran by the Federal Reserve. So I knew they were going to attack that, but the central bank digital currencies would be a, a, a very bad thing because they've been wanting to go out, get on a cashless society for years. And the central bank digital currency would be the way they could finally get that thing across the finish line. But man, would they be able to economically sanction people here in the United States to get them to bow to their edicts? And man, when you talk about that collectivist ideology, it all plays into this big picture. But the central bank digital currency, can you speak to that for a second and how dangerous that would be? Yes, Dave, you're right on target. It's, it's the, uh, the ultimate form of control over human beings. Mm -hmm because uh, just to clarify, a central bank digital currency is a digital currency, and that's the correct name for it. We shouldn't be calling these things cryptocurrencies, yes. because crypto means secret or private. Mm -hmm. There are a few of them left like that, but 90% uh, of them more than 90% of them. Bitcoin, for example, is there's nothing private about it. Every transaction that you ever make on a Bitcoin blockchain is a matter of public record. That's what gives it its backbone, its strength, is that you can verify who did what and at what time, how much, and for what. And everything is out there forever. So it's not crypto. It's not secret at all. But from the very beginning, uh, it was the whole idea of these digital currencies was more or less marketed to the public as being a way of controlling or escaping the power of the banks yeah. and, the, and the government. It yeah. gives you privacy. I thought, wait a minute, it doesn't give you privacy, and how are you going to escape the banks? Because they're, I found out from the, from the very beginning, the biggest banks were tooling up to support cryptocurrencies or, or digital currencies other than credit card money, which yeah. is a digital currency also, yeah. but what we now call cryptocurrency. They were tooling up to support it, and I found out they were spending millions and millions of dollars to research it and develop systems so they could use it. Well, there's one thing these people are, are not, and that's they're not stupid. So I knew right away that they thought that in the long term, they were going to use that to their advantage. But in the, in the short term, they were using the illusion of escaping the control of the banks and the government as a means of popularizing it and yeah. getting people interested in it and saying, yeah, that's what we need. And now that's all coming to fruition. Now they're getting rid of the little the little cryptocurrencies because they're all failing. They come up by the thousands and, and they have a, a special offering and people profit from it and then they collapse and so forth. When all this dust settles, there'll only be the central bank uh, digital currencies and maybe Bitcoin as a means of exchanging large amounts of money between banks sure. and corporations. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm coming up to a break, but I, I want to I'm going to dive right back in right there because a lot of people think that Bitcoin may be a way around this, but you're saying it's not going to be. And so we'll, I want to dive right back into that. We're, we're coming up to a break. After the break, we'll get right back into it. Hi, I'm Judy Baxter. When Irvin and I got married, we didn't realize that our calling would be a prophetic ministry. Since we started End Time Ministries, there have been many times we weren't sure how we would pay the bills, but God has always provided. 
We started with the magazine, then went on radio and TV. And now we have the Jerusalem Prophecy College in Israel and online with End Time Plus. The mission has always been to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the End Time message. Through the years, my husband would say, we will see revival like never before in the last days. We are living in the end time now. Thank you for walking this journey with us and continuing in prayer. You are a part of the team. Thank you for your generous support. It is necessary for God's purpose. The most important thing is that you are ready when the Lord comes. Our hope is to help prepare you for that day. God bless you and we love you. Welcome back, everybody, and I'm joined with special guest, Mr. G. Edward Griffin. Many of our audience will know him. He wrote The Fearful Master, Exposing the United Nations, The Creature from Jekyll Island, Exposing the Federal Reserve, and many other books. Uh, look him up online. They're on there for sale, and uh, certainly we want to purchase many of them. And uh, so, uh, Mr. Griffin, the we're talking about the central bank digital currencies and cryptocurrencies and the, the um, I know that a lot of people that I've talked to have thought that because corporations may have been going to take, uh, I know Elon Musk was gonna take central uh, cryptocurrencies for payment for Teslas and things, that that would be a way around a central bank digital currency um, should we get one. Uh, what's your thoughts on that? Well, <clears throat> my thoughts are that what something can be and what it will be are different. Yeah. Yes, uh, I think the digital currencies could be a force for good, but they're not in the hands of people that have that in mind. And that's right. the point. It's like a weapon, you know, a gun can be used for defense or offense, either mm -hmm. one can be used to steal property or to protect your property. Digital currencies are the same way. Right now they're in the hands of thieves and criminals, yeah. and that's where it's all headed. So let's quit talking about it being a, a force for good. As long as it's in the hands of evil people, yeah. it's not going to be that way. Yeah. So we're just wasting our time considering how wonderful it might be. <laughs> uh, no, it's not going to be wonderful. Right. It's going to be a force of control over yeah. the people. So the, the, the thing people should, so that gets, leads to the question, what do people do? Um, the, if, if, you, if everything's headed digital, which I know there's an entity that works with the United Nations called the Better Than Cash Alliance. They work with governments and stuff around the world just to move people off of cash. Cash is freedom. I can give you $10, you go buy whatever you want. But if, I, if it's digital and it's a, even they're making these central bank digital currencies programmable, then if we, move, the off, if we move into a cashless society, you're stuck. I mean, you're, you're, you're in a jail cell, basically. You get what they give you. And by the way, it's not your money anymore. It's, yeah. It used to be uh, when you took money to the bank and you deposited it, they called it a deposit, yeah. which meant implied that it was your money and you could get it back. And they have two kinds of deposits. There's a demand deposit and a time deposit. Most people didn't know that. I didn't at first. Uh, most people put the money in demand deposits and they're told by the bank that you can come and demand your money because it's your money and you can have it back on demand. But in some cases, you would get higher interest rates if you put it into a time deposit. Mm -hmm. in, that, in that case, you signed an agreement that you couldn't demand it. They might give it back to you or not, depending on if they had it, mm -hmm. because you acknowledge that they would be lending it out. Mm 
for interest. Yeah. So that was more honest, but very few people got involved in that. It was all demand, demand. So when more than about 3% of the population came in to demand their deposits, the bank didn't have it. That would be a run on the bank. Yeah. And first thing you know, the whole system would fall. So, um, but now we don't even have that. Uh, very quietly in the last couple of years, the, la the laws were passed, which make that money, once you put it in the bank, no longer yours, but theirs. It's like you're investing in General Motors. Yeah. When you buy stock in General Motors, you give it to General Motors. Yeah. Now you are an investor, not a, a loaner or a depositor. Yeah. So most people don't realize that the money you put in your bank, even today, no longer belongs to you. And if the bank should fail or should make a bad investment and lose money, it's too bad. It's your money that they lost, but it was really considered legally now their money, and you're not entitled to any compensation whatsoever. No. Now, they may give it to you to keep the population happy. You know, the Federal Insurance Deposit Corporation uh, might give you some money, as with the best we can do, yeah. but we're out of money, so we have to print some more. Yeah. And the more they print to pay you back, of course, the more inflation there is, and the higher yeah. your prices are, so you're not really getting paid back. Right. Uh, so anyway, that's the trick. It's, it's a foul system. Yeah. And the sooner people wake up to the system, the better off they will be. So let's say they, <clears throat> let's say somebody hears this program and they say, oh my goodness, I got to do something. Uh, those guys got me stirred up. And again, I'm not a financial advisor and I know that you're not a financial advisor. That's not the whole goal here. The goal is just for the educate people what's going on. Um, but let's say, for instance, let's say I had $20,000 in the bank or at least I thought I did. And what should somebody do with that? I get calls all the time saying, I, you know, hey, uh, I, I kind of get an idea of what's coming. Um, I got some money in the bank. Uh, what do I do with it? Uh, and uh, I heard, it's funny, I heard you say one time that you should potentially uh, buy a, a warehouse full of cheap wine. <laughs> and because it, so you're saying basically move a, a away from a bank and maybe get what, hard assets or what? Well, I have. I I think the answer to that is twofold. Okay. Um, first of all, if you're standing on the railroad track and you see the engine is, you see the headlight coming towards you, yeah. and you feel the ground rattling, and you know that train's coming down the track. Yeah. What do you What do you do? Get off the track. Well, That's right. the first thing. So, if you have a lot of money in the bank, and we know that the bank is uh, going to collapse or become a total a totalitarian instrument, what do you do? Get your money out of the bank. But but now, you still you have to function. It? You still have to function in society, though. Yeah, that's where they get you. If you have no other way to function, then they've got you. You have to keep it in the bank, and that's what this uh, central bank digital currency is all about. Exactly. You have to be in the bank. Right. And so that's that's why it's so evil. So uh, actually, I I've been using cash quite a bit. I got I get used to using my credit card because yeah. I always pay the card off within. Uh, 60 days and right. I don't pay any interest. Right. But I like the idea of using the bank's money yeah. for a month. I, yeah. But I do now, the same thing. of course, that's, you know, that's not going to work if they go to digital currency right. from the central bank. Right. So I've been using cash again lately. I, I, I kind of like it. I'm thinking of getting a little red cap that says, uh, make cash great again. Or something <laughs> like that. Yeah, no doubt. That's what we need to do. We need no, to right. keep the cash in circulation. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, mm -hmm. Because that's cash is freedom. And, and, and your, that's the is, thing. Is your, so is your if, key to freedom. Yeah. yeah. So um, if let's say they do go to a central bank digital currency, um, what can people do? I mean, at this point, we really don't know. I mean, there's not really an answer for that. If they, well, if, you know. 
if all the well, major... Well, that leads me to the second part of my answer okay, yeah, to your yeah, yeah. question. You said, what can we do? The first thing is get your money out of the bank. Yeah. And of course, then that leads to the question, what do you do with it now that it's out of the bank? What form is it? If it's in cash, that's one thing. Um, if you got $20,000 in cash, you got to worry about somebody stealing it, yeah. which is not as bad as leaving it in the bank and not having to worry about somebody stealing it because you know they're going to steal it. <laughs> you don't have to worry about yeah. it for certain. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, having cash to guard is not as as uh, dangerous as not having cash right. that uh, you, you you couldn't guard any, no matter what yeah. you did. Yeah. So, but my my second part of that question is whatever you do, and I I kind of like bullion. I like silver and and uh, I like gold. So hard assets. And, uh, all of that because yeah. it's always throughout history survived all kinds of crises. And can I think the, it can might the government. Can the government confiscate that like they did before? I mean, wouldn't that? Oh, sure. That's a, yeah. Oh, sure. So that's a possibility. Oh, absolutely. See, the problem, you've got to stop the government from having that kind of power. Okay, so that's they the can, key. They yeah. can just show up at your door at 3 o'clock in the morning and not ha even have a warrant. That's, they don't yeah. have to have a reason. They just say, you, into the truck. Yeah. That's, that's what we're fighting, thing. you see. Yeah. We're fighting against that. So quit thinking about, oh, if, how can we escape all of this? That's, We've yeah. got to defeat it. We can't escape it. We have to stop it. Yeah. So, the, so now that's my answer to your question. Yeah. What do we do with this money? You better spend a great deal of it in building a movement to stop this thing from continuing. Yeah. And that's where I come to, the, first of all, learning about what collectivism and individualism yeah. is. And if anybody comes in and asks for that, we're going to use your email to send you some other information. And we'll be talking about Red Pill University campuses yeah. where we build organizations in the local level where we can build this new system from the ground up so we can have influence over our county board of supervisors, our right. sheriff's office, our city hall, our board of education and so forth and move upward. Instead of waiting around and say, who are you going to vote for? We'll start building the system from the bottom up, yeah. you see? so. That's what we have to do with yeah. that money. Well, so that's what really they have done for years. So um, the Council on Foreign Relations, isn't that devoted to grooming politicians and different things to take these positions? Doesn't the, isn't that what the Council on Foreign Relations does, that they um, have prepped people to take uh, positions in Congress in different places? Don't, isn't that what the, a lot of what the Con Council on Foreign Relations does? Well, they do do that, but that's sort of a secondary issue. They're they're more or less a think tank. They're kind of a directive center. Yeah. They don't really do much, you know, but they set policy and they select people who they're going to to recommend and put into positions of right. authority and yeah, power. Yeah. They're, they're the brain of the whole operation, you might say. Yeah. But you never find them out with a placard and say, vote for this or no, vote no. against that. Th that's what I'm saying, but I'm saying thing. they're the brainchild behind it. Like, So the Council on Foreign Relations, the Trilateral Commission, all these different things, they're, they're grooming people and putting, getting p influential people in these positions, getting the, exactly. the major corporations to back it. And um, you know, a lot of these major corporations, the, the, the CEOs and different things, they're members of the Council on Foreign Relations. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, the, the Council on Foreign Relations has about four, I think less than 5,000 members, yeah. but they're the hidden government of the United States. Yeah. Yeah. You look at the presidents of the United States, the congressmen, the senators, the Supreme Court justices, the head of the CIA, the chief of staff of the military, the ambassadors, all the people that make all the important decisions. Yep. You'd be surprised how many of them are members of the Council on sure. Foreign Relations, the head of the universities, the head of ABC, CBS, NBC, the labor unions, on down the line. Yeah. The Council on Foreign Relations is everywhere with only 5,000 people. Yeah.
And they're they're yeah they're the ones really running the show. They're running the show. Uh, that's exactly right. Wow. Yeah. And that's what that's what man. The, I'm going to say just a fraction of the people in the United States really have a clue what's going on um, with these government officials, which they're re that's really not government. The council that's no. not a government entity, and so. Um, we like to say, well, government's running this and that, but Joe Biden, he's just really a puppet that's being told what to say. And, you know, he, he's yeah, not really running it, exactly. anything. They call it well, a they, Biden inflation, but it's, that's a joke. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm sorry to say that that's been the case for a long time yeah. on both political parties. Yeah. It's not just Biden. No, no, I know. But some are more obvious than others. Yeah, that's correct. Look at their backgrounds. Look at their their life history and oh, yeah. what they do other than when they're on camera. And yeah. you can find out what they're about. Well, um, George H.W. Bush, he's the one that come out and uh, many of them will start talking about the New World Order and different things like that. And they've mm -hmm. all been globalist. Uh, yeah, they have been. Yeah, Bill Clinton what, was a liberal. If you wait around for the Republican or the Democratic Party exactly. to choose your candidate, yep. they're going to be a globalist, yep. whether they say so or not. Exactly. That's exactly right. So, That's wow. how the system works. Uh, yeah. No, absolutely. So. Wow. The, um, so the, 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 the best way for people to prepare, uh, tell us again about your website for the chasm real quick. Cause we're coming here to an end. I got about a minute left. Tell us your yeah, website you. where people can get that because they really need to understand collectivism. They, they really do. So the, you go to the website and it's, it's chasm, C H A S M mm -hmm. dot reality zone dot com. Reality zone dot com. You can download okay, gotcha. this, uh, 50-page report. Yeah, I yeah. think you'll like it. Yeah. In fact, oh, I wrote something just before I went to bed last night that I thought I was going to make into a uh, into a uh, ad. Let me go yeah. away from. Well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I've lost the piece of paper. What That's did I okay. Do with it? Oh, here it is. Here it is. Yeah, yeah. Here it is. I come. I kind of brought it. I'm going to try and make an ad out of this. Okay. This is short. I'll read it to you. Yeah. It says, "Communists don't like it." Fascists don't like it. Mm -hmm. Nazis don't like it. Socialists don't like it. Liberals don't like it. Progressives don't like it. Bureaucrats don't like it. Control freaks don't like it. Most politicians don't like it. You probably will like it. Sure. Read the chasm, collectivism versus individualism. Yeah. Well, okay. Mr. Mr. G. Edward Griffin, man, I've looked forward to this interview for many years. Hopefully we can do it again soon, cover a lot more topics. Thank you, my friend. God bless you. And uh, well, Dave, God thank bless you for all your inviting efforts. me and listening to me ramble on. Absolutely. Here. I hope it made some sense. Thank you, my thank friend. You.